You're listening to Deeply Curious, a podcast about our ever-evolving philosophy of life and faith and the curious pursuit of knowledge and wisdom. In this episode, we're going to be talking about redefining greatness. My name is Cody Jensen, and joining me, as always, is the perfect combination of sexy and cute, my wife, Sarah. Hello. Deeply Curious and all of the art that we create is made possible by you and members of the Jensen AV Club. This week's show is produced by Christian B. Schmidt, Greg and Christy Jensen, and Jeff Stevens. If you would like to be a featured producer of Deeply Curious and gain deeper access and exclusive content, check out our Patreon by going to JensenAV.club. Link is also in the show notes. That's JensenAV.club. Such a radio announcer voice. (laughs) So in last week's episode, we introduced a brand new segment Mm -hmm. to the show called Things We Learned This Week. Um, This week is a little bit different. Sarah, do you have anything that you learned this week that you want to share? I got nothing. Um, My thing that I learned this week is a little different than like that there's four different types of corn. Um, (laughs) It it is more philosophical. Um, It'll start off our conversation. And so I was listening to a podcast um, and it was with John Mark Comer, who is actually wrote the book that we're going to talk about in a minute, but I'm not talking about that book, talking about something else he said. Um, (laughs) So in the podcast, he was talking about his new book of the ruthless elimination of hurry. And he said uh, something paraphrasing here. If you think about the worst moments of your life, the times when you treated others, the poorest lashed out, lacked patience, snapped, most likely these were all times when you were tired stressed and in a hurry Mm -hmm. and i began to think about that and it just really uh struck me as kind of a a truth that i had never thought about in that way of like right because we're all too busy hurrying around to stop and think (laughs) right um and so as i was as i was thinking about that these thoughts kind of were coming to me about you know that if i think about my own life Mm -hmm. that is the most true like in times whenever i have been the worst version of myself have been in times whenever i was tired or stressed or in a hurry Mm -hmm. and yet for some reason in our western american context we glorify not getting sleep right running ourselves ragged hustling harder and never truly resting right and we've talked about this before but It's this, we have this new value system and even reward system Mm -hmm. of, of ranking ourselves of, I am the hardest hustling person that I know because I only get four hours of sleep because I, Mm -hmm. you know, stay at work until, you know, 10 PM or whatever it is. I'd always work on Sundays. Like I, I work harder than anybody else. And those people are the people that we praise. Those people right. are the people that we look to and we're like, oh my gosh, look at them. They're such you know productive, um, hustling people. I want to be like them. And we have this new value system of praising those and aspiring to be those people that are tired, mm-hmm. stressed, and always in a hurry. And the question kind of that that brought to mind was, isn't 
I mean, at least for me, isn't it our desire to be the best version of ourselves ultimately? Like right. if I asked the question with, if I didn't have any prerequisite to this conversation and I just asked you, Hey, do you want to be the, like, is your goal like mm-hmm. to be the best version of yourself? Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't say yes? <laughs> I mean, it's like a, it's a no brainer. Right. Yeah. I want to be the best version of myself. If we had the choice of being the best we can be the, the majority of the time versus some of the time. Right. Um, wouldn't we make the choice to be the best? Mm-hmm. And yet we don't. Well, I think it's interesting because if you just hear that and don't really consider it, like don't really, again, don't stop and actually think about it, people would disagree that they're not being their best or that they're not striving for their best. But the problem is, is that you don't put it in context of like what's truly going to make you better, right? We put it in context of what our system is already promoting, right? And so whenever you say, well, don't you want to be the best version of you? Automatically, you're like, yes, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to do, you know, instead of what really requires you to be the best is to stop. And I don't think like, it's just a we don't even know how to think about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't even know how to stop and really consider what's actually best. I think that's part of, I mean, that is the problem. Right, which does go into kind of the conversation that I want to have about redefining greatness and it's also redefining what is best. Yeah. Because for me, best is not producing more. Best right. is loving more. Yeah, like like for me, I always look at, the people I, I admire, like the people that I want to imitate their life in order to, you know, get at my life, right? And those are the artists, the poets, the novelists, the whatever. And every single time those people live a solitude lifestyle, mm-hmm. they, they live a lifestyle of rest and slowing down and paying attention they don't live a lifestyle of production they don't live a lifestyle of productivity and like oh i'm gonna knock this out and then i'm gonna knock this out and i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna do this they're like i think i'll go on a leisure walk today you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) those are the people that i aspire to live like and or like what they've done with their life i aspire to do with mine but but they're so counter-cultural right now anyway i don't know they didn't used to be but they are now. And it's it's interesting because I've been thinking about this a lot in context to um, where you live. And because f- I always want to be in a city, right? I always want to have the things around me and the ability to go do whatever I want and see whatever concert I want to see and whatever. Um, but there is a Mm, it's not quite 50% of me yet, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. it's a large chunk of me that now thinks that maybe the answer is living somewhere small or boring Mm -hmm. would be the the other 50% of me is what I would, I would call it a boring place, you know, right? because it, it does give you like that opportunity for solitude without the constant guilt of not going. Yeah. Which I think is the whole problem. We, If you're not going, if you're not doing, if you're not producing, then you just 
sit and feel guilty because it's all around you. Mm -hmm. You're just bombarded with it. Yeah. So as I was thinking about kind of this thought experiment or whatever you want to call it, like basically my conclusion uh, for myself was like, it's just ironic that in our pursuit to become the best Mm -hmm. by overworking, never taking a break, sacrificing sleep, um, that all of that actually makes us the worst version of ourselves. Yeah. I do think on some level, on a very tiny level, we're getting back to that. I do think there are certain people in certain spheres who are recognizing and speaking out. Mm-hmm. And and I, I do think that there's that idea. But the problem is, is that even if you believe it, you can't really afford to not do it or to do it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I do feel like that. There's a lie that we believe that yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you can believe that, you know, rest is the answer or not hurrying is the answer. But, I mean, we we still live in the world we live in. And so I, I think for me, the problem is is that tension. I don't really know how to deal with that, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah, so, I mean, as far as... I guess wrapping up kind of the thing that I learned this week um, is really just like I want it to be a value of mine to be the best version of myself so that I can love you better, more, um, you know, be, I, I, to be the husband that you deserve mm-hmm. is to be the best version of myself. And then to be the best version of myself, I need to take care of myself. And to take care of myself would be to make sure that I'm rested, mm-hmm. that I'm not over, 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 over scheduling myself mm-hmm. um, and feeding myself. Um, right. Because sometimes you are just irritable because you're hungry. But, That's true. So to be the best version of yourself, you need to make sure that, I guess I should say, to be the best version of myself, I need to make sure that I am feeding myself nutrition. Right. Like it has to be like, you know, that, yeah. If you've not tried to change your eating habits, just try it and then tell me that you're fine with what you're eating. (laughs) It's seriously, the food that you put in your body makes the world of difference. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just true. (laughs) So basically, I need to make sure that I'm uh, well fed. Mm hmm well-rested and not stressing myself out by trying to maintain a rat wheel race of productivity. Yeah. There's actually, um, this guy, his name is John Mark McMillan and he, I listened to him on a podcast once and he was saying that him and his therapist came up with a list. So anytime he's not great, you know, it, whether that is lashing out at other people or himself or, you know, whatever. Um, he has to, the system is that he has to go down the checklist. And the checklist is, have you eaten lunch? Have you exercised today? Mm-hmm. Have you taken 30 minutes to sit and read a book or whatever it is? You know, he like has a whole checklist that he that they made for him to figure out why he's feeling the way he's feeling. And a lot of the times it really is that simple. Did you drink water? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if the answer is no, you know, just chug a bottle of water real quick and see how much better you feel. Right. And this, this isn't to minimize depression or anxiety in any way, but oh, at the no. same time, we, as a 
for some reason in our new culture of of the way we live with this like constantly connected like mm-hmm. oper is you know hyper connected society we neglect ourselves and then wonder why we're like so stressed or you know so uh, anxious we- or or like even feeling depression but we don't do the simple things of making sure that I drank enough water today. Right. I think the problem is that we neglect, but also indulge, which is seems kind of opposite, but like we neglect what we should do and indulge what we shouldn't. Mm -hmm. And so like we're indulging ourselves in things that we think will make us feel better. Mm -hmm. Binge watching Netflix, you know, drinking a bunch of sugar, Mm -hmm. whatever. But it is like, it's scientific. (laughs) That drinking water and eating vegetables um, are good, not just for your body, but for your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and like there's a lot of research on how your gut health is connected to depression. And um, so it's you get healthy gut health by eating and doing healthy foods. Like mm-hmm. that's just, you know, I think... It's easy. It's not downplaying depression and anxiety, but the truth is that it does affect it. Mm-hmm. Um, like my my therapist one time, she said, not washing your hair doesn't cause depression. Not doing your laundry doesn't cause depression. But when you wake up in the morning and you feel dirty and you feel frumpy because your sweaters aren't clean, it adds to the spiral. Like it sends you deeper. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not about downplaying it. It's just about being a little bit proactive, which is the hardest thing to do when you're in a depression, for sure. But it really does make a difference, mm-hmm. just drinking a bottle of water. One thing you said in there was um, we indulge ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I thought one thing we do on top of what you said was we also indulge the negative feelings. Oh, and for sure. we're feeling like, let's say we're feeling down or you know, you know, something of that nature. And we indulge that and we're like, oh my gosh, I'm just so, you know, woe is me essentially. And then you, instead of realizing like, why am I feeling this? Oh, I forgot to eat lunch. Dang it. You're like, oh my gosh, my life, I, this, mm-hmm. this all sucks. This, I, my, my whole day's ruined. I'll just start over tomorrow. It's like, well, your whole day wasn't ruined. You just forgot to eat lunch. And if you would have eaten lunch, you wouldn't have have, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't have thought this way. Um, yeah. So it's all culminating to the point uh, for myself that if asked do you want to be the best version of yourself absolutely the best version of myself is living a emotionally healthy life and loving others well and the way to do that is to make sure that i take care of the basic needs of being human right and right what, you yeah, cannot value um, not doing that yeah there was a conference i was at and i was listening to the, she's i think she was a psychologist or something um but anyway she was saying that self-care isn't selfish like you cannot take care of other people if you haven't taken care of yourself and i mean it's just like the most basic of principles it's not selfish to be kind to yourself <laughs> and to make sure that you can function <laughs> as a human being that's mm-hmm. i mean it's required yeah so so that is the uh thing that i learned this week so for this episode the thing that i kind of want to talk about is redefining greatness so this is kind of a big 
topic um, for me, I guess, because the thing that I want to talk about is so uh, central, so weighty in my life right now. Um, so let me take it back to just a few months ago, six months ago, let's say, um, I turned 30 in March and it was around that time that I began to notice that I was entering into an existential crisis and we had, I, I, that has basically been essentially the catalyst of every episode we have of this podcast we have done since March is like the, my journey of figuring out my uh, philosophy of life and faith. And in that, I have kind of gone down different paths of thought and come out of it, you know, with different opinions. And I have shared that all on the way. And I would say that I just recently read this book, um, Garden City by John Mark Comer. And in this book, it is talking about us as humans and specifically for those of us who um, practice the worldview of Christianity and believe in creation from God and that Jesus um, was ultimately Savior and God himself. So that's kind of the, the umbrella of kind of how this book was written. And that speaks to me because those are that's who I am. And in the book, he talks about work and how we were created to work. So that's kind of the uh, beginnings of this conversation. But I wanted to kind of take you through a little bit of my journey of in my existential crisis. Essentially, I had spent the previous two years going from working full time at a church that I had worked at for eight years using all of me, my gifts, talents, abilities, thoughts, like energy, everything was going towards building uh, the local church and ultimately helping build the kingdom of God. I felt deep meaning in that because I was giving of myself. I was learning and growing and using my artistic uh, prowess for something larger than me. As we transitioned into move living in New York City, uh, we stumbled into becoming YouTubers, podcasters, uh, independent filmmakers, whatever you want to say, and it started to shift away from using those talents to build something bigger than me to using my talents to, I mean, survive. Mm -hmm. um, using my talents and abilities to make money so that I can live in New York City. Um, I tried to, as best as I consciously could, um, maintain a heart of humbleness and still be pursuing the fruits of, of Jesus that I want to embody. Um, but I feel like I lost sight within that time period of truly working for the glory of God and working more for the glory of me or just working for survival. Mm -hmm. And within that, I think that's what kind of led me into having this kind of crisis of meaning and trying to figure out 
what does all of this mean? And what is life? And so that kind of sparked the journey of uh, that I've been on in my mind. And in the first part of it, the first thing that I kind of felt so strongly was this lampooning against materialism and uh, conspicuous consumption and all of these things of our world that just eat away at our happiness Mm -hmm. and finding this new it's always been a part of me I, i guess not always but in in the last years that kind of sentiment that kind of moving towards simplicity moving away from buying happiness moving away from just presenting one's self uh through the medium of clothing and wealth and you know just saying that I bought this, this is who I am type situation. I've always kind of been moving away from that. But through this existential crisis, I kind of really found language behind what I, yeah, what I think is one of the core problems with Western society is our addiction to stuff. And then as I went through that, I started to feel as though my work, the stuff that I do on a daily basis, creating these videos for YouTube. I spent every moment creating these videos for YouTube. And I started to question myself of, am I making the world a better place? And does any of this matter? Am I actually contributing to unhappiness in the world by creating things that ultimately don't matter. I mean, I basically, I started to question that. Do the things that I create even matter? Do the things that I create point people to something greater than themselves? All of these things I'm I'm thinking about it. And I started to devalue my work. Mm -hmm. And then as I kept going down this spiral um, of thought, I started to think about maybe work itself doesn't matter. Maybe work itself is something that is the driving factor in our unhappiness because I could not think of a way to work that ultimately did not contribute contribute to what I felt was the evil of society and right, perpetuating like it's just this construct. That, it's, yeah, it's just yeah. like just perpetuating this like greedy capitalistic money machine. And I started to feel if that doesn't matter, then maybe nothing matters. And Mm -hmm. I was towing the line of nihilism. And I don't think I ever got to the point where I I was entertaining the idea of full nihilism where no religion or anything ever matters because ultimately we're all going to die and nothing matters ever. Um, But at the same time, I was towing the line of nihilism and also, uh, you know, we did a show uh, a couple of shows ago of talking about Epicureanism mm-hmm. um, and uh, finding actual through the end of it. I, I realized after that conversation that what I was talking about in the very beginning wasn't even Epicureanism. It was more so hedonism that I was talking about in the beginning um, and 
through when once we like kind of looked it up and found like that um epicureanism is is finding value and pleasure in life by reducing the things in life that we have and i was like oh mm-hmm. wait maybe i am way more um in that vein than i thought but anyways that's basically where i'm at um mm-hmm. or where i have been that's the that's the direction of which i've been going yeah um is and i can attest <laughs> yeah <laughs> And as basically, I essentially the way that you could describe that is I'm in a season of deconstruction. I'm I'm deconstructing um, everything that I've ever been taught, and mm-hmm. also deconstructing what my what faith is, what my faith is, and also what life is, and trying to reconstruct at the same time, trying to maintain this, um, uh, I guess, foundation of. Mm-hmm love and beauty and peace, grace, you know, in everything that I want to stand on, you know, uh, being an image bearer of God is the foundational like belief here and trying to make sure I maintain that everything should flow out of that. Um, and because if it's not, what can happen is through a season of, you know, existentialism and deconstructing, it can lead to becoming just a, a, a bitter cynic right. and you start to believe that um not only maybe does nothing matter but also that i am the only thing that matters you know you can lead into that that if if nothing matters then i should just do what i want right how i want when i want um and it, it can lead into that type of thought in any ways just trying to make sure that i I don't want, I'm trying, I'm also on a ruthless pursuit of eliminating um, cynicism in my life too, at the same time of deconstructing all of this. Um, and so I knew, knowing that the path of deconstruction leads either to a greater fulfillment in a life of living in love or uh, bitter cynicism, I need to surround myself and, um, put myself in a position to be mentored or guided from people that are further along in the journey than I am. Right. That ultimately are where you would like to be. Yes. And so that led me to picking up the book Garden City by John Mark Comer, because we have recently, we as we've been looking for a new church home in Portland, we uh, ended up going to Bridgetown and he, uh, John Mark Comer is the pastor of Bridgetown and there, he had his book for sale in the lobby. So I bought it. Um, and as I began to read it, I started to have my mind blown, um, but then also reaffirmed mm-hmm. and challenged. Um, so there were parts of the book like my strong emotional resistance to our material consumeristic society was affirmed as I was reading. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, ha ha, uh, <laughs> I, I am right. <laughs> and then I, you know, read the next line and I'm like, oh, wow, I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, I, in other things, like they're basically in, in this journey of existential crisis, I have, I had started to believe that I should never pursue greatness because to pursue greatness is to say that I am better than others. And to say that I'm better than others is to not be humble. Mm -hmm. Um, And also to be the best in the world is such an egotistical like mindset Mm -hmm. that I had just such a distaste 
for the thoughts or the actions that it would take to like be the best. Right. And so, and, and we, you are not a, um, you're an all or nothing person in action and words. So mm -hmm. <laughs> like the way, just like the way you even talk about it, like, yeah, you're, you're very harsh, I guess. So it was basically my point is it was literally, I have this thought and now like my whole life, it, it, everything was just like pushed to the side. You right. know what I mean? All kinds of like goals or ambitions or whatever mm -hmm. was just pushed to the side. Yeah, I mean, because I've been a very ambitious and driven person my whole life. Right. Um, I definitely have fallen into seasons of workaholism. Um, and I, I definitely dipped into that in New York whenever we were making uh, our YouTube videos and we were doing three videos a week. Um, mm -hmm. Plus we added a podcast like every single day was just like right. the ultimate, like what producing, 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 producing. And I definitely um, fell into workaholism. And here's, here's a quote from um, Garden City he says, as human beings, we have this slant to look to our work for significance that we can only find in God. When we uncouple our work from God, work becomes a sort of God in itself. It's called workaholism. But workaholism is more than an addiction. It's a twisted kind of worship, a search for meaning and purpose in what we do. Right, which I think... Well, it's hard because I have um, complicated <laughs> or uh, contrasting emotions about it because I think, um, you know, they say like 80 something percent of Americans um, are unhappy with their work. And I think it's because of that. I think it's because we put way too much importance on what a job should provide us Um which I'm also guilty of. I mean, I expect to, you know, <laughs> find some sort of fulfillment in my job. Mm -hmm. But also, I, when I think about like my own personal self, like the only thing that really matters to me is that I want to write a good book. And I do feel like I'm pretty much worthless unless I do that. Mm. And so like, I don't really know how you, you know, decide that that's not true. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, so that finding that, significance in some sort of work. I mean, that is essentially what the book Garden City is about is saying that we it is not about saying that we are not what we do or that what we do has nothing to do with who we are. Mm -hmm. It's actually in the middle. And uh, here's a, a quote that is. Currently, there is a much needed backlash against that unhealthy way of thinking. The it's it's who you are, not what you do thinking. He says, but be careful that the proverbial pendulum doesn't bang you over the head. Um, what we do flows from who we are. Both matter. Mm -hmm. And in what you were just saying, you believe that your significance comes from writing a book. Mm-hmm. And it is not that you should fight that feeling because God created you for a purpose, for a reason, 
to create mm-hmm. and to so it, a lot of the the reason it's called garden city is uh, i don't know if i can do this succinctly enough but essentially um in the beginning of the story of creation that we are given is god created um the garden of eden right he put the um first humans in the garden of eden and gave them jobs and said to cultivate it mm-hmm. to work the land to name the animals to um fill the earth um they were given jobs and purpose within the perfection of the garden and ultimately what their job was to do was to spread the garden over the entire earth to create a garden city mm-hmm. and within that we all have these purposes and he, he puts this uh definition uh, tim keller's definition of work is uh rearranging the raw material of god's creation in such a way that helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish and then he says good culture is the result of even better people hard at work rearranging the raw stuff of planet earth into a place of delight so we are not just called to do any kind of work some work doesn't do this at all some work is destructive to the earth to the human brain to the economy to the family to the developing world we are called to a very specific kind of work to make a garden like world where image bearers can flourish and thrive where people can experience and enjoy god's generous love and so within that essentially we are created to be co-workers of god mm-hmm. in creating a place for humans to flourish yeah. And in that, some of us have skills to work brick to create homes. Mm-hmm. Some of us have the skills to work the word and create books. Mm-hmm. You were in- inherently and innately designed to work with the material of words. So you have that desire. And that desire is not something to say well this is just me want pushing you know striving for greatness and wanting to you know make a name for myself it is for you to take that alongside your calling as a christian to make the world a better place and do that to make the world a better place mm-hmm. um the thing that struck me i guess the most in my thinking because i was in the same boat that you are that you just said right i have all of these things that i innately want to do like i want to create videos i want to create art right but i was like but none of it matters right because well the the language you kept using and i guess tell me if you feel differently now is that if you're just creating art for marketing Mm -hmm. for for material right then it it really doesn't matter or like it's not a good use of your skills yes exactly that was what was my hang up was i knew that i was created to do work in 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 the creative field but where my hang up was was how is my work helping anybody right and 
the like essentially I, this was a, a thing that I that I said is the world does not need any more content. Right. It is flooded. And nobody needs a new pair of shoes. Right. No or whatever like, it is you're making a product a right. video. It's for like it. if I'm if I have it if I am using uh my audience to make money for myself by selling to my audience, then am I contributing to uh materialism. Right. The bigger problem. The bigger problem. And telling people that, hey, your life isn't as good or as happy or as, you know, whatever it is it could be unless you buy this thing, which is most of advertising. Right. So I had such a hard time trying to figure out how do I balance not leading people into a life of conspicuous consumption, materialism, mm-hmm. and consumerism, all of that type of thing, but still use my platform to create a living for myself as I'm creating my art. There is ways to do it, but right. I was just having a very hard time finding it. Well, I mean, there, and, are, there are a lot of, I mean, that's very difficult to navigate, mm-hmm. even though there are ways to do it. It's very difficult to really be able to define. And then the other thing is that on top of like, okay, making money through selling advertising through my art, um, it was the art itself is, am I even creating art? Am I just creating content? Cause I right. have this content schedule that I, you know, I'm putting out a video every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, is every single one of those art, does every single one of those contribute to the betterment of society? Um, right. am I just putting more content out in the world that is stealing people, stealing people's time and stealing people's energy away from the things that truly matter in life? Am I, is, is what the, is what I'm doing contributing to human flourishing? So that, that is kind of the thought process I had. And then here is this quote from this book that I read that I was like, uh, I wasn't on the wrong path. Um, Mm -hmm. kind of affirmed some of my, my thoughts, um, as much as challenged them is does your work contribute to human flourishing? Is it good for the earth, good for you, good for your city, your nation, your world, good for culture? Does it take the raw materials of planet earth, metal and wood and wind and words and ideas and E equals MC squared and rearrange them into a place where image bearers, us, can thrive in relationship to God? Mm-hmm. That Those were the questions I was asking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I felt the answer was no or maybe like in a lot of areas and um he he says also uh whether you agree with that or not the fact is some work brings life and healing and health and beauty to the world while other kinds of work bring violence and theft and poverty and chaos to it that essentially is just you know a, a great paragraph uh, a summation of, of what I was feeling mm-hmm. and what am I doing? Like, is what I'm doing mattering to somebody? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that led me into the thinking that maybe the best thing that I can do for human flourishing, for the betterment of the world, is to not. Mm-hmm. Not putting out the work and stealing people's time and pushing them towards, you know, saying you should spend your time watching this you should do that you know look pay attention to me all that type of type of stuff maybe ultimately the best thing i can do for human flourishing is to not steal people's attention Mm -hmm. and i should 
do something else and spend my time. Like I legitimately kind of had a desire to just go live in the woods and read books and study. Yeah, you study. kind of scared me for a second because, um, I mean, like I said, I'm maybe like 40% there <laughs> now. At, but at the time you and you mentioned that, I was like at 0%. Mm-hmm. And it was when we were still in New York. And you were like, I think I think maybe I want to live in the woods. And I was like, okay. <laughs> that was a, a bit much for me. <laughs> like I can do like, you know, Portland is significantly smaller than New York. And I could even maybe I could in a few years do something a little smaller than Portland or something. But I was like, the woods though? Mm-hmm. My main concern is like, how do you get groceries? Like, I don't, I don't, I just keep coming back to the basic questions. Like I have to drive into town? Mm-hmm. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, I, I don't know if I was uh, called to be uh, a woodsman. But Yeah, probably um, not. <laughs> but I did, I just was basically on that proverbial pendulum swing of like, living uh in new york city amongst the it the, like i've said before it's the mecca of I work mean, it's the epitome. it's the people where it's the 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 religion of new york is workaholism and people go to new york city to worship their god of work and so i was on that pendulum swing and i was way out on the other um end and saying like maybe i should just go live in the woods and study like study scripture study philosophy and just like look at the flowers yeah just find like enlightenment i suppose through Mm -hmm. the pursuit of knowledge and then that i mean that's subdued to some degree but at the same time that feeling didn't really go away like whenever we moved because i think well the i think the difference would be that um the frantic idea is not there anymore like you don't feel so frantic to Mm -hmm. escape right right it's not about that but it is about slowing down it is about Mm -hmm. learning solitude it is about all the other underlying issues that's not like i need to live in the woods right (laughs) the i need to live in the woods is like a Mm band-aid frantic get me out of here situation right but all of the underlying opinions and ideas are still there yeah and so the thing that uh i mean i was challenged a lot by this book but also the thing that challenged me the most in my like current spiral of thinking was that work ultimately matters mm-hmm. we are ultimately created to work and some work contributes to ultimate human flourishing some work does not mm-hmm. um And I felt as though I didn't know which side of that fence I was on Mm -hmm. and I had to figure it out and to bring value to people's life and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then I was also, like I said, I was on the journey of like, well, maybe this like desire to be great at things is not of God or Mm -hmm. just not worth it. It's egotistical, egotistical, you know, all that type of stuff. Um, But then I was very much challenged um, in garden city and here's some quotes from it he says in fact i would argue that the desire to be great was put there by the creator himself after all we are made in his image the problem is this desire which is which in its embryonic innocent state is so so right but it is quickly worked and soiled and bent out of shape by the ego Mm -hmm. um 
And so we devolve from a desire to be great to a desire to be thought of as great. Mm. Which yeah, that makes sense. is a very good thought. And I want to read it again. We devolve from a desire to be great to a desire to be thought of as great. From a desire to serve the weak to a desire to be served by the weak. From a desire to save the world to a desire to have it. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, because we're all just, I think probably more than anything, we're just all searching for some sort of validation through whatever means we can get it by. Um, The book I talked about in our last podcast on the case of reading, um, it's called Am I Alone Here? He talked about that a little bit um, in regards to he has this like kind of fantasy of becoming the recluse writer, which is like hilarious because that shouldn't be really anybody's fantasy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But um, he he said, um, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me, but basically he said underneath the desire to be the recluse writer to, you know, to be the, in the spotlight and disappear. That's what kind of what he wanted. He was like, but, but underneath that desire to disappear is the fact that people would know that I disappeared. You know, it's like this, um, idea that we're, um, being chased that, that like somebody wants to know where we are or wants to know, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there's this like underlying desire to be known, even if you want to be known by disappearing, you know what I mean? Right. It's kind of that same idea. Like in order, instead of just trying to be great, we want to be known as great. I think it speaks more of to the motivation of, of what we're doing. Like why do you want to be great? Do you want to be great because you have a desire to be great or because you want people to know that you're great? Because those are two very, very different things. Yes. And that is kind of the major heart mm-hmm. of of the book is talking about how humans have a massive capacity for greatness, essentially. But mm-hmm. as... He talks about how God created us um, to be rulers of the earth, to rule alongside him, to rule you know, with him, that we are made in his image. And as those rulers, we have the choice. Do we want to be good rulers or bad rulers? Mm-hmm. And here's a, a quote. So there are good monarchs under whose rule a kingdom thrives. Civilization grows and expands. The earth flourishes. And there are evil tyrants whose reigns are marked by uh, oppression Mm -hmm. and injustice, dehumanizing people and stripping bare the soil of the earth. It all depends on what kind of ruler you have. Mm -hmm. And it is in that, that, that shift of, am I doing this to be great, to shine glory on something even greater, or is it to have uh people look at me mm-hmm. you know as great essentially yeah which that challenged uh my thinking a lot and has really like helped me uh move towards a a better healthier theology of life mm-hmm. um and one of the things that i think really but bo- for both of us is 
he is the talking about your uh your calling you know work itself and the thing that i guess really challenged me the most is he talks a lot about how the best way we can serve mm -hmm. the world and do what we were created to do is to show up and work mm -hmm. to show up and do our best work every day and that in itself is humanness that in itself is worship mm -hmm. that in itself is purpose that it is the the act of just showing up and doing the work you were created to do mm -hmm. is is the end game like one of the things he says is when you go to work tomorrow remember you're not just a designer with a clothing label you're a partner with god taking the human project forward mm -hmm. because we like back to it's hard to it's, you know summarize an entire book you know yeah, in impossible. 30 minutes but it's like the reason he says that is because of what I mentioned earlier, the, the the story of creation that we get of of this garden and taking that garden forward, taking we as mm -hmm. humans are to create culture, mm -hmm. to work the garden into creating a garden city and create culture. And the best way we can fulfill our calling as humans is to show up and do our best work. And the best way we can find fulfillment in our calling is one figuring out what your calling is and then doing it and doing it to the best you can do it um and that really challenged me in just in that thinking mm -hmm. of that the best way i can honor myself and honor god is to make the best videos that i can well i was about to ask so in that regard what have you decided about your <laughs> your current work i don't know i mean i as far as that but in in the thinking of in the thing of challenging greatness mm -hmm. redefining greatness uh this is kind of i want to read this quote of most of us want to be great so that other people will serve us jesus is calling us out he's saying that greatness is when we love and serve others one of the best possible ways we can love and serve people is to show up for work every day and do our work, not to get ahead or make more money or become famous, but to love and serve God and neighbor. And when we do that, we start to reclaim our humanness. I mean, I do think that that's true because I, I think regardless of what you believe like you can tell when <laughs> when you're doing things out of selfishness how much worse it feels pretty much and when you're doing things out of selflessness or out of um actually truly trying to make a, a difference uh in some form or fashion how much better it is than whenever you're just like oh, mm -hmm. i need a dollar <laughs> right you know yeah so that is the thing that I guess I felt the most challenged by in that it's not that I was pursuing basically greatness for myself. Mm -hmm. It was that I recognized or felt this thing of 
of that to pursue greatness is to pursue ego. Mm -hmm. And so to pursue work Mm -hmm. in that way of becoming like better to become great, to be, to do, you know, that type of thing. I was having a hard time reconciling how I could do that in love. Mm -hmm. And then this challenged me the most by saying that it's not, you can, one of the best ways you can show your love is is to do good work. work. Yeah. And so to your question, I don't know. I don't know how, like ultimately what my work will look like Mm -hmm. in, in, in the far future. I mean, in the near future, I'm just want to, continue doing what I'm doing and, and put love and purpose behind it. Like with this podcast, obviously like sharing a process and sharing my, you know, our, our evolving Mm -hmm. philosophy of faith and and, and life and all that type of stuff I do believe is bringing value to some people. Mm -hmm. And so within that, I, I find deep meaning and uh, feel that I am contributing to human flourishing by challenge people, challenging people to live a more, aware and emotionally healthy life Mm -hmm. now on the video side is trying to figure out what value ultimate value can i bring through my uh, art of of creating video right and uh i understand there is value in entertainment right but and i'm okay with that i'm okay with saying like this video is created by me um purely for purely for the enjoyment of art Mm -hmm. which i do believe is of god Mm -hmm. but if i made every video purely for the enjoyment of art i think i would start to feel that ultimately it wasn't it like it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. so i think that a, a combination of making just beautiful artful films and making things that uh, I feel are uh, bringing value mm-hmm. and bringing you know, questioning or uh, bringing value in way of getting people outside of their comfort zone and traveling to different places that they wouldn't have traveled to or, um, you know, just different things like that. I mean, there's all sorts of levels of, of right. value and meaning and things like that. And I don't think there's no way that I can, with every video I put out, that it has like this beautiful deep meaning to it that you know the level of meaning that an entire book brings Mm -hmm. you know let's say that took somebody probably a year or more to like write Mm -hmm. there's no way i could say you know every 10 to 15 minute video that i put out on a weekly basis is going to bring that much value right but i do believe that that is part of my calling Mm mm-hmm um, I, I didn't mean that you have to define it. I just meant, do you think that, do you feel like there's value? Have you gone through the process to see that what you're doing does have value? Yes. Or I are have, you still in the like, eh? I, yeah, I have begun to contemplate the idea that what I do brings value. And even in the fact of living my life in pursuit of Jesus, mm-hmm. and then inviting others to watch me live out my life. Mm-hmm. So let's just say like a regular vlog mm-hmm. of doing essentially nothing. Mm-hmm. I do see that if I live my life well, 
and I create my art well, that that can show glory and love and point people to Jesus just by pursuing Jesus myself and living out a life that others just see. I mean, I think that's pretty evident in the fact that a lot of our videos that I would say are maybe, you know, aren't rich with meaning are just, you know, a video Mm. about the apartment or whatever it is, just a regular old video. A lot of the comments that you get are, I feel so much more peace. I feel peaceful watching this. This makes me, you know, slow down. I like that, you know, whatever. I think that it's evident in in those comments. Yeah, and and I do find... uh, Whenever I hear those things, it does bring perspective to me and it does help me like realize, wow, like even though this video wasn't, it was just about visiting this place or it was just putting right. my apartment together or whatever, the the spirit and the attitude of which I made it was done in a way that I wanted to give, not take. Right. And within that it is translated to others as as just being a a peaceful moment in their day mm-hmm. which i never ever ever would have been like that's why i'm creating this i want to create peace <laughs> but whenever i when people comment and they're like i i've i've rewatched this three three times yeah. because um you know it, it makes it, me feel it, so calm it, it makes me feel calm and i'm like if what i do can bring a a moment of calm to some, I mean, even if it is only 15 minutes, if what I created brought a 15 minute time of calmness, which actually comes full circle to the fact that our society is uh, riddled with hurry and mm-hmm. busyness. And so, I mean, you are creating purpose in the fact that you're steering away from that. Right. And I think people feel that in the video, obviously, or they wouldn't yeah. comment about it. <laughs> and, and it is it is kind of the, the challenging, the challenge that I have, I guess, the thing that has challenged me is is just that fact of the world doesn't need any more content, mm-hmm. but maybe it's more so the world doesn't need any more content telling them that their life isn't good right, enough. Right, the same that content. That they, that they need to go faster. That, you know, it's just, it's just and even... A lot of content, it doesn't even have to say you need to go faster. It is the pacing and the tone and the language of everything. Right. Well, that's the whole point of storytelling, right? You The, the majority of storytelling is done subconsciously, mm-hmm. right? It's like, uh, what did they say? 70% of communication is nonverbal. Mm-hmm. Like it's the same in, yeah. in movies and films or whatever. It's like. The majority of the story is nonverbal. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it basically made me think about how, you know, maybe the best thing I can do for society isn't what I was thinking of just not creating. Right. But the best thing I can do for society is create a counter narrative to the norm. Right. And by being myself, pursuing my calling, pursuing love and choosing to create um, so that I can love and serve God Mm -hmm. and others, 
that in itself is the best thing that I can do. Right. It's other people can do different things because ultimately I can only be who I am. Right. And I can't, let's say, uh, like for you, I, the the best thing I can do is not to write a book because that's Mm -hmm. not what I was called to do. (laughs) Yeah. Like. (laughs) I was just reminded of (laughs) whenever we were close to leaving New York and you were in the thick of it. You were like a spiraling hardcore Remember, you you told me, like, I think maybe I should write a book because that seems so much easier. Mm -hmm. And I (laughs) I got so mad because I was like, I was really irritated, like easier than making a video Mm because I think that making a video would be easier than sitting down and writing something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And that's not to say that I I would never write a book, but I don't, I I don't think that's what I'm called to spend my life doing. Right. Um, It was just funny because you think that writing a book would be the easiest way for you to creatively express. And I feel like (laughs) that, I mean, that, If you look at it that way, yes, that is funny, but also in context, what it really was is that I felt that writing a book would be an easier way to express um, uh, dissenting feelings of consumerism and materialism than to um, create content or products around like the idea of uh, anti-consumerism. And so I've, I was kind of thinking that maybe the best way to yeah, do that would be through a book. Yeah, but ask any writer if oh, the best, w- the easiest way to do something is writing a book and they'll yeah. tell you no. <laughs> we definitely we definitely look at, at things that we are not experts in and find that it would be easier to do that because whenever you are an expert in something, right. you, you basically, you know too much. Yeah. And you, it, it's funny because we spend all of these years learning something a Mm -hmm. skill a trade a vocation and uh we 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 don't think we're good enough right but we'll look at something that we have never done oh it's just like how anybody walks into a museum and they're like that's hanging here i could paint that any day but the point is that you didn't paint it you know (laughs) yeah yeah anyways Um, i I just remembered that it was funny so yeah so i mean basically that the, there was a lot of scattered thoughts in there um, because I, I I have a lot of thoughts right now about this because it really, I mean, honestly and truly is reshaping I mean, the way that I view life. What you read that book last week, mm-hmm. I already see, like I noticed the, the way in which you were working differently just mm-hmm. within the last week. Like the... Um, I guess maybe enthusiasm. There's like a mo- a little more enthusiasm in actually working. Like you, you know, found some sort of motivation to make a new uh, intro for the podcast. You've been talking about how you're going to do the apartment tour. You've been talking. I don't know. There's just like a different kind of enthusiasm that mm-hmm. I think you have found. Well, I mean. It's that seems inevitable if you go from thinking that nothing that you are doing ultimately matters to realizing that what you're doing is what matters. Yeah. (laughs) So it definitely is less depressing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So uh, hopefully that was presented in a halfway understandable like uh, way. 
but it is a, a lot of different thoughts that I have been thinking. I'll leave you with um, the this quote um, from the book of whatever your calling is, whatever you end up doing with your life, please, please don't do it for yourself. That's such an overdone, cliche, uncreative way of thinking. We've been there, done that. It's a waste of oxygen. Do your work as an expression of love and service, ultimately to God and then to your neighbor. Maybe you'll make a ton of money, or maybe you'll just have enough. Maybe you'll become a household name all over the world. The odds are you won't. Maybe you'll see your reward this side of resurrection, or maybe not until the next. But none of that matters. That's not why you do it. You do it because God made you to do it, because it's good, because it has bearing on this world and the world to come, because when it's all said and done, it matters. Yeah, like I think um, if you truly look at the the greats of the world, the you know the artists, the the change makers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, all of them basically, <laughs> it was like a compulsion. Like they had to do what they did because they were created to create what they did mm-hmm. and that's it and the majority of them made no money you know and i think um like it kind of sucks but <laughs> it also yeah. it also like i mean you'll you'll be fine if that's not your main concern like i i just think that we put way too much pressure on ourselves um, to not only create the greatest thing, but to have the most. Mm-hmm. And that's not the point of any of it. And so if you just kind of forget about the fact that money, money is not as important as we think it is, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I think what that quote is saying, is like if you choose to, to truly follow like your heart, the, to truly follow the creating, then everything else will be taken care of. Right. And it won't matter to you that you aren't the richest and most famous. <laughs> right. I mean, you, it essentially makes it where you're able to be human. Exactly. That, yeah, you you may not make as much money as you wished you did, and you may not have the recognition that you wish you did, but whenever you <laughs> stop mm-hmm. striving for those things, ultimately you can stop and be human. And, yeah. And actually whenever you remove all of those things all of those pressures and you realize that whenever you live your life without the weight of western capitalistic society sitting on top of you Mm -hmm. you don't care yeah because it's like well this life feels way better than what i was chasing yeah well and again like it's it's sort of um a sad realization or or maybe just a tough pill to swallow Right. But the truth is that, again, the majority of the the greats didn't have money. Like Vincent Van Gogh sold one painting in his lifetime. He didn't become Vincent Van Gogh until after he was dead. F. Scott Fitzgerald died believing he was a failure. Mm-hmm. F. Scott Fitzgerald, who wrote the, the great American novel. Like, I, I mean, it's just, you know, it's not necessarily fair but it's also not what matters Mm -hmm. you know what matters is that you create what you want to create what matters is that you you do what you were put here to do regardless of what anybody else thinks right that's what matters um 
I, I lied. I do want to read one more quote that that reminded me of. Okay. <laughs> um, just mostly because this is a really good quote about the Western capitalistic society we live in, um, the American dream. Mm-hmm. It says the, the mantra to our culture is that we work to live. The American dream, which started out as this brilliant idea that everybody should have a shot at a happy life, yeah, has devolved over the years into a narcissistic desire to make as much money as possible in as little time as possible with as little effort as possible so that we can get off of work and go do something else. And then he says, what a miserable way to live. I feel attacked. (laughs) (laughs) How rude that you point that out. (laughs) It's true though. We're all, we're very, very entitled as Americans. And also it's weird because I do think we're like disillusioned and entitled, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is new. I don't know how you deal with both of those feelings. Yeah. Because the American dream doesn't really exist anymore. But at the same time, we still perpetuate the American dream. Yeah. I mean, I think that we've just, we've be, I think with like what that quote is saying, the American dream is no longer that everybody has a shot. Right. Exactly. Because I mean, if you think about it, I mean, in you America, don't. really, everybody does have a shot. Like, if, but it just depends on has a shot at what. What are you defining as has a shot as? And it's like right. has a shot at a happy life. We have started to redefine a happy life as living like Kanye. You know what yeah, I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah, that's true. A happy life is to live like all of these people that we put on the cover of magazines and on all the late night talk shows and everything like that. If that's not the life that you're living, well, then you're not living a happy life. And so right. we've redefined happiness. Not when that redefining of happiness has basically perverted the American dream Mm -hmm. and that the American dream is no longer to everybody has a shot of happiness. It's that everybody has a shot and should be rich and famous and have the corner office and have everything they've ever wanted. And that's not true. It's just because we would all be much happier if we were content. Contentment brings happiness. So if we would redefine what happiness is, then yes, we do all have a shot of the American dream and most of us have already achieved it. We just yeah. have, we just need a, a different measuring stick. Mm-hmm. Well, anyways, we're going to uh, <laughs> just keep talking. And this uh, show has already ran long. So uh, if you enjoyed the show, we would love it if you would give us a review on iTunes or share a favorite episode with a friend. You can also partner with us by joining our Patreon at JensenAV.club. Our intro music is provided by MusicBed. Learn more about MusicBed's unlimited music subscription plan at music.codyjensen.com. Sarah and I also publish lifestyle and travel films every week on our YouTube channel. You can check that out by going to youtube.com slash Cody Jensen. Thank you for listening to Deeply Curious, and we will see you next week. Bye.